Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. With our weekly visit with Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central uh, DuPage Hospital. Kevin, good morning to you, my friend. We've been talking uh, this morning about the overuse of cologne. I would imagine as a doctor, you probably have encountered that with with patients, somebody who bathes themselves in cologne before they come in for uh, a doctor's appointment? Um, yeah, I guess I have, Dean. It's, uh, I don't think it's a medical condition per se, but uh, <laughs> we always need to check, their, is their nasal passages working? Do that's, they smell the same thing we're smelling? Is that's there something? what I was going to suggest. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to suggest, that, that perhaps right. there is some kind of nasal thing going on. Plus, <laughs> since we brought this up, uh, somebody texted in saying uh, that uh, I am an RN, and there were there was another certain RM I worked with who bathed herself in perfume that would put me in an asthma attack every time. Is that is that possible that if somebody oh, ab- is wearing too much cologne, or I, I guess it's like just a pollutant, right? Absolutely, you know. Uh, there's many different irritants that are in the air that can certainly trigger asthma, and that would certainly be one. Anything that can trigger the asthma that can, can uh, make those uh, airways constrict to cause the symptoms of asthma can be anything from pollens all the way up to something as bad as a perfume. And um, so it's, it's extremely possible. Yeah, yep. very interesting, very interesting. So I was talking about uh, Pat Tomasulo's uh, benefit that he had last night at the park west uh, called laugh your face off a benefit to raise money for research for trigeminal neuralgia which is a condition that pat's wife lives with in which she her face is in chronic pain most of the time chronic debilitating non-stop uh, pain uh, can you talk a little about what trigeminal neuralgia is Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, great that Pat is using this forum for this because it's a, it's an illness, it's a disease that um, doesn't get a lot of fanfare. And I've spoken to Pat a couple times about it, especially through COVID. And, you know, you just, you go, wow, you know, what his wife uh, uh, suffers from here. The trigeminal nerve is a nerve in our face that provides sensation to our face. So when you touch your face, when you feel anything, when you're smiling, when you're doing that, the sensation of that sends a message from the nerve to your brain to tell you where. There we go. The phone line, how this happens every single week during Dr. Kevin Most's uh, segment. And I don't want to say anything. We, uh, we uh, jokingly started a, a pool of, you know, when do you think Kevin's uh, conversation is going to get interrupted? Uh, you know, jokingly thinking that it wouldn't, it wasn't going to happen. I said nine forty four. It's nine forty four. Do I know my technical malfunctions or what? Uh, so we are uh, attempting to get Kevin back on the phone line right now, and that should happen uh, any second. And we'll continue uh, uh, talking to Kevin about the trigeminal neuralgia. I want you all to know a little more about it. Uh, but also, we've already got a bunch of uh, questions coming in on our text line and uh, we'll get to those coming up if you have a question uh, for kevin if we can manage to keep him on the uh, phone line for more than five minutes 
Uh, <laughs> well, get your questions in. Kevin, are you, are you back with us again? Hey, Dean, do you remember those old pay phones where it used to say, insert 10 more cents or you will be cut off? (laughs) We're thinking of uh, running um, a string with two orange juice cans, (laughs) one with you and one with us, so we could have a reliable form of communication every week. I can't believe that this happens every single week. I apologize to you and also to our listeners. You were explaining uh, trigeminal neuralgia. Yeah. So the trigeminal nerve is the nerve, like I was saying, I don't know where I was exactly cut off, but it's the, it's the largest one of our cranial nerves that actually gives a sensation to our face. So that is good at times, right? Something gets too close that's warm, it's going to tell us to back away from that. But also when that trigeminal nerve gets inflamed, you get what we call trigeminal neuralgia. And unfortunately, that's an inflammation of that nerve that is firing for no apparent reason, right? There's no pain, there's no... All right. Well, there it goes again. It's happened again. Unbelievable. Let me take a break, come back, and uh, see if we can continue this segment. I really, really apologize. Uh, Slash, am so mad that we have not gotten this fixed after all this time. We'll be right. Dr. Kevin Most, we're going to try to get some information here before the phone's drop out on us uh, again talking about this this chronic pain now you know i i've seen videos because uh, i've gone to pat's benefit and it's you know hilarious stand-up comedy is what the benefit is but they also show stories from doctors and patients and people who are living with trigeminal neuralgia and uh it is it, it's heartbreaking to watch these videos and to see people who look like they are having nails driven into their face. Uh, it's the only way that I can describe it, this pain that you were talking about from this uh, condition, trigeminal neuralgia. Yeah, it, it's so unfortunate because anybody that's had acute pain, right? You've fallen, broken a bone, you've done something, and you're like, you know what that pain is. Can you imagine if that pain continues, continues, and continues? You know, and that's the most frustrating thing. So with trigeminal neuralgia, with the research that Pat and his, his, his group is trying to look at, is two things. One is what causes this. Certainly we know that trauma can cause it. We know that there's some dental issues that can cause it. We know there's a blood vessel that can push against this nerve and cause it. But a large portion of them happen without any reason that we can't figure out. So trying to figure out, is this a virus that is getting in there similar to COVID where it's causing this nerve to fire? And then on the other side, we're trying to say, okay, how can we treat this? How can we get these patients who have this condition and get them to a point of comfort where they can have a normal life? And right now, we're using pain medications, which can be sedating, can be very difficult on the stomach, can be very difficult just on your cognitive, you know, well-being for the day. And then also, we're trying anti-convulsive medications that are trying to stop that nerve from firing to send something to the brain to say, I'm in pain. So trying to stop that ignition of, I'm in pain, I'm in pain, if we can block that. But really, there's not enough upswell or groundswell to say this is something we need people to get behind. So kudos to Pat and his team for putting that on. It's the only way we're going to get more information on this, figure out how we can take care of these individuals who are so uncomfortable for the vast majority of their life. Yeah, they showed a a video last night, the story of a 
46-year-old woman who was living with it. And in this video, they captured uh, some of the moments when she was suffering from it. Excruciatingly difficult to watch. Uh, and the the story is that this woman, uh, 46-year-old woman, her name is um, Kelly, uh, Kelly Crane, uh, ended her own life. She committed suicide because she couldn't take the pain anymore. She couldn't take the suffering anymore. Uh, you know, har- heartbreaking. And that's how insidious, uh, you know, that this whole thing is. We're going to talk with Kelly's son who wrote a song in honor of his mom. He's a singer and a songwriter, and we're going to talk to him uh, coming up after uh, 10 o'clock. So uh, just one of the one of the many things uh, out there right now to deal with. Um, people are texting in, have lots of uh, questions about the, the COVID vaccine. Uh, quite a few questions. Can I take my COVID vaccine, my RSV vaccine, and flu shot all at the same time? Well, I would not. Flu and COVID, I would say, go ahead and do that. As you start to add another one, especially the RSV being as new as it is, that we really don't know what's the side effect profile going to be for that. You know, certainly in the studies, which were done on a fairly large number, the side effect profile was okay. But RSV is one vaccine that I am saying, make sure you talk to your doctor to make sure that he feels it's appropriate for you. So RSV, we all know we've you know, from the age of two on, we get it. But those who are older are the individuals that we're concerned about. But certainly talking to your doctor to say, I know COVID and flu are a good idea. Is RSV a good idea for me? Now, grandparents of a newborn new, uh, baby where you want to try to protect that baby, certainly a good idea to uh, have that RSV to make sure that you're protecting that child. But as far as the protection to the individual itself, I think that's a personal discussion with you and your physician to say, what are the risks versus side effects? And is it a good idea for me to get it at this time? Yeah, you're talking about how, you know, there's this upswing again in COVID. Uh, During this past week, since we spoke last week, three of my friends have been uh, tested positive for, for COVID. So, I mean, it's definitely out there it's definitely going around you know make make whatever decisions you want on that for yourself um i plan on protecting myself and i i think a lot of people are planning on doing that um you had sent me a note about a cancer drug which is also being used to treat peanut allergies that that sounds so interesting and would be helpful to so many yeah and it's really interesting that it's it's a cancer drug for lymphoma. Now, the interesting thing about it is it blocks this enzyme in our body called BKT. BKT has to be there and has to be firing in order for us to get an anaphylactic response. So this is one of those where we're going, well, wait a second. Now we have an idea. If we can block BKT, whether it is for peanut allergies, and I'll talk about that briefly, but more importantly, I'm getting chemotherapy, and I end up allergic to the one chemotherapy that's going to save my life. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could pre-treat you with this medication to stop that allergic reaction from happening and allow you to get the treatment that you need. But it was incidentally found with peanut allergies, like you were saying, kind of amazing. People that were highly allergic to peanuts, um, after receiving this, tolerated even more and tolerated quite a bit. And they said, why? Why is this happening? And they look to find that that's what it's doing, is it's blocking this enzyme that's causing the allergic reaction. Mm, So 
fascinating. Whether it's going to be used for peanut allergies and how long the well, you'd have to be on it long, or is this something, hey, I'm going to take it two days before I get the medication that I need to save my life, and that is going to be the use of this drug. So it'll be fascinating to see how it pans out. Some work being done at Northwestern um, on it, so it's very it's very interesting. We'll keep an eye on that and keep everybody posted. Uh, Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer at Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. And now we can terminate the uh, telephone call. Yeah, Dean, I'll look for the string coming up my driveway here probably next Saturday. I was, or I was I'll, actually, I'll make sure I have a good can. I was actually just thinking as a joke I was going to hang up on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, did, I didn't want it to be taken the wrong way. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Kev. Talk to you soon. You take care. Bye.